You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Welcome everyone to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium. My name is Ian Sollenberger. Uh, This is the podcast where uh, we try to inspire people to be more sustainable in the way they live, um, as well as the way they build and, and beyond. And we're going to explore that today um, in a big way with Allie Daly. Really excited to have her here. She is um, by trade an interior designer, um, as well as a budding developer and a former ballet dancer, artist um, extraordinaire. So uh, really happy to have you on, Allie, and, and thank okay. you for being here. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Um, first question is sort of a big one. Um, sustainability is a huge idea. It's a, a big term. Um, and there's a lot of different definitions for it. And so I guess my first question is, I'm discovering through this podcast that, um, that a lot of the ways that we're talking about, like, okay, what is sustainable? When I talk to architects, designers, things like that, we're, we're sort of going back to our roots in a way. Um, and, and that's what I hear a lot about. And it's, not, it's technology too. And we're coming up with these fascinating technological ways to harness some ideas that have been around for centuries and real, really ancestral uh, thinking and, and living. And I'm curious if that resonates with you at all um, as far as sustainability goes and what your working definition of sustainability is uh, in your work, in your life. Um, that's a multi-part question. <laughs> yeah. What's your you definition know, of sustainability is the easy, the easy uh, question. My, my, you know, I think my definition of sustainability would mostly be um, about really applying kind of um, thoughtful practices in all that we do, mm-hmm. not just in construction, not just in design, but really kind of you know, it goes across the board in, uh, across the board in manufacturing and um, supply chain, and uh, you know, there's so many aspects of everything that we do in every industry that can be done in a more sustainable way that's less destructive to the earth and to humanity and to animals. And so, I think it's at a very root place is about being more thoughtful about um, what we're doing and how we're doing it. This is coming from a a design and and artist or even dancer background. Um, Has that informed the way you work, the way, the way you design and, and, you know, 
transversely the, the way you think about the world and live? Well, you know, I think for a long time, you know, I was very fortunate in that I grew up in a household where my mother was a fine arts painter and my father was the jazz musician. So I grew up um, having different senses kind of developed in different ways. And then, as you mentioned, I was a, a ballerina for many, many years professionally. And um, I think that appreciation of appealing to your senses on some level is kind of what fueled my um, interest in getting into design. I think um, I have somewhat of a natural aptitude for it mm -hmm. as well. Um, but I think that in my work, I really try to, to do that. I try to touch as many senses as I possibly can. And I think the, the beginning stages of it was more really about uh, evoking an emotional response and about the aesthetics of a space. But as I grew in my profession and I grew in my knowledge and my experience in not just doing the design aspect of what I do, but also in um, construction and that process, I started learning a lot more about uh, the processes that are behind the scenes that people don't even realize before you even, you know, get to the building lot. And yeah. so um, the more I explored, uh, the more I learned. And then I think it was really, um, honestly, upon having my son, I really started thinking more deeply about the world that we're leaving our kids. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, it kind of started to be a little bit heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Well, what we do matters. And, and I think that realization is, is one that is picking up some steam here <laughs> in For the last sure. couple of years and certainly in the last couple of months as well. For sure. And, um, you know, so, you know, and I think humanity as a whole is shifting, but that's a, like another part of the conversation. Yeah, part, but part two. Yeah. Part two. But I do think that um, certainly people are starting to pay more attention to it um, and, and making little efforts where mm -hmm. they can. You know, do I think we're doing enough fast enough? No. Um, there are some challenges to make that happen a little bit more quickly. But I think there's definitely increased interest in it, which, which is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, the ideas that we have explored in, in our podcast series is integrative design. And, you know, hearing you talk, you know, you're coming from the interior designer at the beginning of your career, which one might say is a very like siloed profession. You know, they bring you in, you choose the furniture and the, you know, right. the walls and, and that's right. it. But uh, I love that, you know, that's not your approach. And and through that, it seems like you've, you've learned a lot about the other processes that go on. And so integrative design is one that says, all right, we need all the stakeholders in this project at the very beginning um, so that we can talk to each other and generate good ideas yeah. and, and intentionally try to shift the focus of, of how we're building. Um, and how did that come about? Were you doing some things in, in interior design already with materials and like trying to sort of mimic or get like organic materials? Like how did, how did that sort of realization come about for you? You know, I think in the beginning when I, when I kind of started my, I mean, I have a lot of commercial design in my background. When I mm -hmm. lived in New York City, I designed worldwide for 
Calvin Klein and Gianni Versace and Perry Ellis. And so I did a lot of commercial design uh, before I moved to Los Angeles. Cool. A, little, a little bit of residential, but mostly residential since I've been out in LA. And I think that when you come from a commercial side of the business, it's very much about maintaining brand image consistency. So I hate to say it, but they don't really care about sustainability so much in yeah. creating their brand image and perpetuating that worldwide. When you have the ability to make more of a significant difference is when you start uh, bringing it down to a more personal level. Because when you're talking about doing residential design, and still some people don't care, they just want a nice house, but, but some people do care. And I think that the more I started learning about um, the processes, I really pushed my clients, especially for like new construction. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of what was happening is they would have the general contractor come in and build the house. And then a lot of people hire the designer after that's done. Right. And then they bring the designer in. But if you don't have a designer and let me make the distinction. There's a difference between an interior decorator and an interior designer. Right. All right, an interior decorator is basically someone that's gonna go and pick out your furniture and your vases and that kind of stuff. An interior designer is someone more that's gonna be involved in like the building materials and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I started getting frustrated because, you know, the general contractors were picking materials that necessarily were not sustainable or right. were not uh, even healthy for clients to be putting in their homes. And so I started, um, really kind of pushing people to have me come on board earlier in the process so that I could give my two cents and help kind of drive the conversation into a direction of trying to, you know, select more uh, sustainable and healthy building materials even mm -hmm. uh, integrate into the home. So I think that's kind of came along the same time that I started really learning about how these materials are sourced and how they're harvested and how they're transported. And um, so I think the general public when they're building a house has no idea what happens, you know, before you even get to the starting line. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it is really trying to educate my clients on, you know, the choices that they have. A lot of people don't realize they have so many, you know, I hate to use the term eco-friendly, but yeah, hey, it's helpful a people, sometimes. A lot of people don't realize that there's choices that yeah. they have. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you give the client the choice uh, and, yeah. and give them the information. And really, at the end of the day, you're not a, a salesperson; you're a right. and, you're an uh, informant. I, I, I can't be their moral compass, but <laughs> but um, at least knowing they have options is a good thing. Well, okay, so what I think is interesting about some of what you just said is that, um, you know, you, you started off in commercial and came into residential and that's where you, you feel that you got a better, you know, sort of tuned in, I guess, more to, Oh, this is what's possible. And, and I can help these people make decisions. Yeah. The, the rub of that is that where you're really going to have the most impact on a sustainability scale and on a worldwide scale is with these huge commercial projects. And that ends up, you know, we, we keep kind of running into it's walls. Frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating <laughs> because 
um, there are better ways to do all of these things. And, and there have been for decades. Um, and, and the technology is here and hopefully the scaling will get to the point where the cost can come down. It has for solar panels, it has for, you know, some materials. Um, yeah. Certainly there are better options, as you said, for all sorts of materials, insulation to, um, you know, drywall and, and permeable materials and, you know, things that, again, mimic nature. Um, I'm going to sort of transition a little bit. You are uh, a, a proponent or a, a fan, I guess, of when we were talking uh, before Michael Reynolds' work with Earthships, uh -huh. um, which is like the exact opposite of everything that we've talked about so far. Um, tell us a little bit, you, you did like a whole, a whole study on it. Um, tell us a little bit about what you learned from that process and what from that you've uh, been able to or been want to or been trying to bring into to the work that you're doing with luxuries, luxury homes. Yeah, so I mean, for people that are not that familiar with Mike Reynolds' work, he's an older guy. I would classify him as a hippie, which is great. I love hippies. Yeah. But um, he, many years ago now, I feel like it was maybe 30, 40 years ago, started to try to build in a more sustainable way and wanted to build completely off-grid. And so he, you know, had a lot of legal battles for a really long time, finally got the state of um, New Mexico to let him start to build on a piece of land, um, kind of proof of concept structure. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to like a traditional post and green construction, what he actually uses is a large percentage of the building materials that he uses are things that he has found basically in the trash or recycling <laughs> facilities or whatever. So the exterior walls of the house, again, instead of being like a traditional post and beam construction, he uses tires. So it's like kind of like a berm wall and then the tires are packed with mud and the tires are stacked like bricks. And then there's like, concrete that's kind of put on the outside of both of both sides of the walls. What this does is creates thermal mass. Mm -hmm. And so when you have thermal mass with the exterior walls of the structure, you're able to control the temperature on the inside of the structure. Right. And then the front of the structures, he does a greenhouse where you have the ability to use your own, grow your own food. And then it also doubles as a heating system. So the house is typically face south. The sun's facing the greenhouse all day. It heats up in the greenhouse. There's windows on the top of the greenhouse that vent the heat into the house. So basically, you know, just outside of Taos, he's got several structures out there now. And the way that the construction's done, he can maintain an interior temperature of 72 degrees year round. Whether the blazing summer or covered in snow. It's the ultimate passive design. It's, You're using passive systems. I mean, it, what's funny is they're the Earth's system. So, I mean, it's yeah, not passive it's, really, but it's it, really non-mechanical. Exactly. I mean, uh, my son was five and I threw him in the back of my Land Rover and <laughs> just went on a road trip out to New Mexico because I wanted to see this for myself. And I had to say, stepping into one of those houses, if you guys ever have a chance to do it, you should definitely just... Go check it out. It's open to the public. You can kind of walk around and explore a bit. Um, That's awesome. 
but when you step into one of these houses, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's like you're stepping into a living, breathing structure mm. because even the airflow in the house is thought out with, you know, the way they cool the house is they'll have a, like a grill that can open and close on the wall. And then you have these, these pipes that go eight feet underground, travel out, I don't know, 30 feet and then pop up outside. But because the air cools underground when it comes out into the house, it's like free air conditioning. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're using ge geothermal and you know exactly. passive yeah. design and it's it's all of the best uh you know man-made things exactly but everything works together you know mm -hmm. he has a water catch uh system that goes into a cistern the water's used five times like it's just so for me the building practices and the building processes are genius where it falls short for me is the aesthetics yeah it's a little bit, uh, I mean, if anybody's familiar with Cobb Cottages, uh, yeah, it's you know. Yeah, it's a little wavy gravy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's like cool, dug into the side of a cave kind of yeah, uh, situation, exactly. yeah. But I mean, some of it's beautiful. Like he uses glass bottles on walls instead of bricks. And you've got this like beautiful sort of mosaic of light coming through. Mm -hmm. I think there's a way to apply that process in maybe a little bit more aesthetically pleasing way. Yeah. But um so I came back from New Mexico, like all fired up, like, how do I build in this way, but in a higher level of aesthetics to appeal to my luxury clientele. And what did you find? <laughs> I found that I was beating my head against the wall because unfortunately, as sound as this construction is, I mean, even the walls, they have a higher rating for seismic uh, issues than post and beam construction does. But the Department of Building and Planning is so behind technology hmm. that you can't build like that. You can't yeah. build like that in California. So, and I reached out to like, you know, leaders or elders on tribal land to see if I could build a proof of concept there. And they were like, no, so I've kind of hit a roadblock. Um, yeah. But I do think it's, it's coming. It's mm -hmm. just for me, not moving fast enough, but yeah. I think there's, you know, you go into like all this bureaucracy about who's making money and they want to make their money. And the department of water and power does not want us, unplugging from them right yeah so there's a lot of red tape yeah. there's a lot of bureaucracy which is unfortunate but it so is unlike uh, it is unfortunate um and and i we're constantly talking about it you know because yeah. that's they need to change the usgbc here in la uh the green building council is doing a lot of really good work um trying to push uh for legislation around um just not even smarter buildings but but cleaner healthier buildings and i think yeah. that's that's an angle that we definitely can take um for this because maybe you're not going to get everybody on board with climate change but you can get everybody on board hopefully with the health of the humans that are living in these buildings and i think that applies to that large scale concept too where when there's lots of people interacting with one particular building then it's should be extra mandated <laughs> that those things are thought yeah. through um, you know even commercial space you're talking about how yeah. many 
thousands of square feet of building materials go in here and there's a lot of flooring and carpeting and paint that off gases that's really bad for people to absorb into their bodies and mm -hmm. i think that there personally should be more regulation about that but yeah, yeah. how to do that is obviously i mean that's above my pay grade that's, <laughs> that's like moving an iceberg so yeah. Well, have, have, so have you found uh, any, I guess, methodologies or like um, materials or anything? I mean, the idea of thermal mass is obviously one that, yeah, you're using some different, you're not going to be using tires and, and glass bottles maybe, but that's something that can be incorporated into a, a more, um, you know, single family home or, or For sure. yeah, For well, sure. you talk know, about that. The thing is, well, that's funny because that's exactly where I took it. I'm like, okay, if I can't build with tires, but I still want to achieve thermal mass, how do I do that? Right. And obviously you can do it through traditional building practices, mm -hmm. um, which is still kind of, yes. Yeah, it doesn't solve all the problems. Efficiency, yeah. but it's like, so, so do you want to take up square footage of the house to build a thicker exterior wall and save money on your energy bills? Or do you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like- kind of have to weigh out the pros and the cons of which kind of direction you want to take it. I think where it gets interesting is if you do use some of those things. And again, if you bring everybody in at the beginning and you're, you're thinking outside the box, yeah. then within the confines of, of the codes and, and safety zoning and all that, um, you know, there are ways to think through how to integrate the different systems of a home, um, how to do some things like gray water, uh, recycling, you know, on-site gray water recycling. There's, there's some on-site stuff that can be done now. Uh, with some, you know, the onion has been slowly peeling back a yes. little bit. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you know, what do you see as possibilities when it, when it comes to that? Do you, in your work with, I guess, higher end clients, like, do you see anybody asking for those things on a, on a regular basis? Is that something that there's a demand for or, um, yeah. Some, but I think again, one of the biggest challenges that we have is educating people. I mean, there are so many incredible building products out there yeah. that people don't know about. And, you know, unfortunately, because people, enough people don't know about them and enough people are not using them, they're still expensive. Mm -hmm. So it's like, which is the chicken or the egg? If more people knew about them and more people were using them, obviously the price could come down on that. It's how it works. But so, you know, there's incredible uh, insulation products that are made from recycled clothes. Yeah. There's, um, you know, hempcrete. Yep. There's... Uh, and what's interesting about hempcrete is that, uh, you know, the, the process of actually packing hempcrete is a laborious one and you know requires like very specific skills but they have this they're working on kind of doing rigid foam board hempcrete um and panelized and yeah exactly like those kinds of things so yeah i'm glad i mean throw out more because i think i think people want to hear about that stuff and you know and the other thing is like oh and there's you know the solar uh generating glass mm -hmm glass on your windows in your house that generates solar. We all know about, you know, the, the roof tiles that Elon Musk has done. And right. um, so I think all of that makes a difference. But I also think just in, even in finished materials, you know, where we've come, even just within the last 10 years, where before where people would be like, oh, I'm going to do a bamboo floor because that's eco-friendly. Mm -hmm. But particularly like, I don't 
love the look of traditional bamboo floors, but manufacturers are doing so many incredible, beautiful things now with bamboo, whether it's tiles that are end cut or just mm. the way they're laid. So, and even with stone, as opposed to using stone for countertops, the, um, the synthetic stuff for the man-made stone now is looking so much better. That's cool. Um, and, you know, for me, real stone has this depth and warmth and beauty to it that, you know, you really couldn't find in, in a porcelain slab or a synthetic slab. It just looked like it was 3D printed on a tile. Right. Uh, but they are, the technology of that is getting better and better and better. So it's looking more and more and more real. Because if you see how they take stone from a mountain and it's devastating, like several years ago, I drove through Italy and um, you'll come around the corner and you'll see this giant white chunk taken out of the mountain. Wow. And um, basically they drill holes in the mountain, they drop dynamite down on the holes and then they blast a whole giant block out if you can picture almost like a giant stick of butter and then it's craned off the hillside and they sell the blocks at auction. And then the blocks, depending on where they're coming from, whether it's you know, different kinds of stones typically come from different parts of the world. Like basically all the onyx comes out of Iran, Pakistan. Um, um, a lot of the marble statuary, Carrera, Calcutta, that mostly comes out of Italy. Mm -hmm. um, so then they take these good blocks and then it goes to fabrication and it's sliced like a stick of butter, right? Yeah. But the hillside's decimated. It's gone. Never to come back again. Right. And this is why you see the price of like Carrera or Calcutta going up, 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 because it's almost gone from the earth. And Endangered then, species, yeah. Yeah, and then you go into like all that mining, what happens to the runoff from the water and it's contaminating water supplies and it's killing you know, ecosystems. And it's like, so it's not just about taking, it's just not about decimating a mountain, but the effects that that takes to the rest of the ecosystem around that mountain. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of heartbreaking when you see that happening. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting talking about the, the built environment. I mean, so much, if you think about infrastructure, right? And so much of our infrastructure is, uh, intended to deliver poisonous materials or to chunk away at the actual good stuff, soil, mountains, yeah. minerals, you know, like, Forest. all, yeah, forests, exactly. Um, wetlands, you know, all of these things, like there, there's an equal, you know, but opposite uh, action. And I forget who said that, but my wife's taking a physics class right now. So uh, every action, there's an equal or opposite. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we also both have a, uh, Albert Einstein quote, um, uh, you, you said one in your, the video you sent me and mine is yeah. we can't keep, or can't keep using the ways that got us here to get us out. Essentially. That's a paraphrase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was an Einstein quote as well. And anyway, all that to say, you know, we should be building like when, when I think of infrastructure, I think of, you know, roads building. I mean, I, I think of things going up and being, being better and like building people up, not, I mean, not, you know, like the, the clawing at the earth. Exactly. There's technology now where they can lay materials down on road surfaces that generate solar power. 
Mm-hmm. Like, why are we not doing that? Yeah. Well, and why are we giving subsidies to uh, dirty companies when we should be giving subsidies to companies that are doing something for the benefit of us all, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, at the very beginning of this conversation, you were saying that like, we're kind of returning to sort of simplicity and kind of old school. I'll tell you, we were just in Jaipur, India. I think I mentioned this to you mm-hmm. um, right before this whole pandemic started. Yeah. And um, one of the palaces that we went to, it's called Mirror Palace, and it was built in the 1400s. And it was very inspiring to me because you go into this palace, this palace, and then they have like winter palace and summer palace within this compound. Mm-hmm. And the way that winter palace was built, all of the walls and the ceiling were little teeny mirror mosaic tiles. Wow. So aesthetically, it's beautiful. Yeah. But the person that was giving us the tour was telling us the reason they did it this way, which is genius if you think about it. That was Winter Palace. So it was built on the south side of the, the compound. So it would get the sun. Solar and heat. Every single one of those little mirror tires had tiles had mercury on the back of it. Yeah. So when they burned the candles in there at night, all that mercury heated up and put off warmth into the structure. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, you're talking the, you know. That's next level. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, 15th century. So (laughs) the whole space was heated just from candlelight, heating up the mercury on the back of these teeny little mosaic tiles. Wow. Then you go across the courtyard to Summer Palace, which is on the other side. And they had literally a waterfall designed into the residence that fell down like steps to the residence that did just a little mist. And then there were reed curtains on that front. So this was before windows existed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Reed curtains, and then they would throw water on the reed curtains, and then the air coming through the reed curtains with the water running through the space acted as air conditioning. That's incredible. So this is like ancient, ancient heating and cooling. And I'm yeah. like, it's genius. Yeah. And it's simple and it requires no electricity i'm sure somebody was down there pumping the water <laughs> but um i wonder if anybody died of mercury poisoning that's my that's my only uh, negative probably, thought for them. <laughs> whoever was making the tiles right yeah. but um so again i think that if we just stop trying to overcomplicate things and are kind of open-minded to kind of revisiting how things used to be done. Um, and then just doing better because we got so much we, better technology now. So just take the, take the idea and then implement it better, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like hay bale construction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works. Yeah. As you mentioned, you have to, you have to build some thicker walls, you know, right, to, to right? make that happen. But um, in the right, yeah, in the right context, that's, that's perfect. And there's also, I mean, there are some like, I've heard of, uh, like some clay plaster applications. Um, and and that's actually, I've heard of that in the luxury space where people will choose to do that because a, it provides some thermal mass B it looks really nice. It's like an interior stucco. Um, I'm actually doing that with several clients right now. Are you? Cool. That's neat. It's a nice look. It's soft. 
It is really soft. It's, it's pretty. And, and it's also on top of all those things, I mentioned permeability before it's, it's vapor permeable. Yeah. And so you don't have to have all of the vapor seals um, and things. That, so again, you're, you're minimizing, you're simplifying um, mm-hmm. the, the design, but you can't do that on the back end. You have to, you have to A, have the smarts and B, exactly. you know, have the materials and the application and, and get everybody to set together to say, okay, this is how we're going to build it. And it's not going to be what you've seen before. Exactly. And that's, again, goes back to why I, I feel like it's an important in construction to have a designer on board more on the front end mm-hmm. uh, because they kind of work with the general contractor in creating the roadmap. Yes. So, yeah. um, and then get, get your engineers in there and, and tell them, you know, they're the ones that need to figure out how to make it cheaper, you know, exactly. <laughs> and if you're all in the same room and you're talking to each other, then you have the opportunity to, to do that. Um, exactly. You know, we're all on the same zoom, I guess I should say. Right. <laughs> Uh, these days. Right. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I got a couple more questions here. Uh, tell me what in your, in your perfect plan, um, what would an urban earth ship look like? I mean, given that you, you know, if you're not doing glass bottles and, and rubber tires, I mean, kind of talk me through what, like, what's the most feasible application of that idea brought into an urban, you know, 50 by 150 lot? You know, I think um, an urban earth ship, you know, I think a lot of it is about simplicity in design. Mm -hmm. I don't think um, conceptually these things should be overcomplicated. Um, I think a lot of the furnishings can be built in. Ooh, I like that idea. So if you were to design, let's say, like a sunken living room, the area where the sofa would go would be built in. And then it's just about like cushions, for example. Mm-hmm. Big cushions. So I think it's really about very thoughtful design and development in the front end of it. But I see it being very... Um, Simple in construction, clean lines, soft lines, not a lot of right angles. Mm-hmm. Um, just something that feels more in one with nature, yeah. more, more organic. Obviously, you want to have a greenhouse integrated. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say plants inside is what yeah. I'm envisioning as you're saying this. Yeah, You want to have a greenhouse integrated into it because for me, part of that whole concept is the ability to grow your own food. And honestly, the way things are going, we should all be growing our own food anyway. Yeah. But, um, you know, and again, the way his water system works was Mm -hmm. the first use is sinks and showers. The second use is um, the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So the water comes from there, it gets filtered, it goes to the greenhouse to water all your food. Third use is um, toilets. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's four uses. And then the fourth use, it goes outside to non-edible plants. So you're using one gallon of water four times. That's incredible. So, 25% then, efficiency for those of you yeah, who don't like math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about it, if you have a water collection system, like why, sh- why are we not doing this? It just, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it's just about thoughtful design. I think it's not just thoughtful design about this is a pretty building, thoughtful design and who's going to be living here and how are, how are they living? Mm-hmm. So, and I, what I like about that approach too, is that you have to take the site, you have to take the climate, you have to take the, the topography, the, the region that you're in, dare I say, if we're urban topography, then we're saying the neighborhood, you know, like it forces people to think about the space, not just as mine, you know, but as a a contribution to, um, to the neighborhood or to the landscape or or whatever. And listen, don't get me started on that because there's so much vacant land in Los Angeles. And I really feel like the city should be planting food trees fruit trees and food and you know you think about we have what almost 150,000 homeless people living in Los Angeles right now yeah vacant land and I don't think it's a big stretch to just grow some low maintenance fruit trees that can feed people so if we we can integrate the ability to feed ourselves through the design of our houses um, I'm not saying to get all of your food from there but you know I think that we as a society have been too dependent on someone else to provide for us. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're kind of moving toward a place where we need to start sort of taking some of our power back to take care of ourselves. And I think if we have the ability to grow our own food and we have the ability to um, regulate our lives and our houses ourselves, um, I think that's a really beneficial for for everyone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've, I've said before that it's not just about efficiency, it's about sufficiency as well. And I think yeah. that if you can put I those, have to steal that. <laughs> please steal away. That's why I'm doing this podcast. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's free. Um, you know, I, I, I just love the idea of, yeah, of smart design. And I think there are certain areas and I think it can be applied to so many different areas, as you said at the beginning, um, when I asked yeah, you what sustainability right. was, you know, I mean, it, it's smart design is not just buildings. Smart design is, as you said, manufacturing, it's product development. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's not just the, the natural environment or the built environment. It's the human environment. It should be, you know, all of us sort of together figuring out how to solve problems better, you know, 100%. not just saying, well, they're going to do it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think a lot of people kind of thinking in this way because they're like oh it's so much more expensive per square foot but you know even seeing what he was doing out in New Mexico the cost per square foot to build is about the same sometimes less than traditional building practices so mm-hmm. you know I, I don't buy that excuse I think it's just unfortunately like I said a lot of red tape and bureaucracy that the city wants us dependent on them yeah and you know I'll tell you that I, I recently built a house for a client in studio city in california and we were putting solar panels on the roof and wanted to do a tesla power wall mm-hmm. and the department of building and planning would only let us put one and if we wanted to put another one it had to be 90 foot away from the first one so just red like, tape just pure red tape really. like why like it there's just you know and so that did they have is- a reason was it like a fire did they say it was a fire hazard or something or what I was the reason they thought if one was going to explode they didn't want it that close now, do you know how far away 90 feet is we had to put like one down by the mailbox and one in their garage it was like so they were like forget it let's just do one and i think a lot of that is because you know the dwp makes a lot of money 
but gas companies want to build more, uh, you know, gas lines underneath our neighborhoods and that's fine. Right. Yeah. Go for right. that. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah. No, no big deal. Those will never right. explode yeah. with an earthquake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, I mean, listen, my dream would be for us to be able to start building this way and have it be recognized and supported. And I think, you know, to allow people the opportunity to be more self-sufficient and to allow us an opportunity to stop destroying rainforests and stop decimating mountains and stop destroying waterways and ecosystems. And, you know, there's enough information out there now and there are enough amazing building products available now. The technology is there. Yeah. It's just getting everybody out of our way to be able to do, um, to do the best that we can, not just for ourselves, but also for our planet. Yeah. Um, I know you have a son. I know he's probably in school and that's weird and you're figuring that out. Um, but I don't know if we, you know, if, if the legislation and, and the red tape is so much that we can't do it here, um, you know, would you ever consider going somewhere else? Uh, either, you know, another part of the U.S. that, you know, was a little bit more forward thinking or perhaps someplace where the, the laws were uh, less it's funny stringent that you or that. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually have a project in development right now to do just that. Cool. Um, it's uh, more of a resort project. Oh, nice. Um, and you don't have to give anything away, but and, if you want to, you can. And yeah. my intention is to build the structures using these processes and practices as best I can. Nice. And so, so you, the footprint would be like, as carbon neutral as possible and yeah. totally off grid or self-sufficient with as much solar as and as much as you could. Yeah. As much as I can be integrating solar power, um, wind power, um, gray water systems. Um, yeah. So Grow, growing I'm, your own food as well. A lot. We have three acres dedicated to growing food. So, um, well, once tourism kicks back here, you know, there are these, but you can go to Italy and like work on a vineyard for a month, you know, and people do that. Like there, there are, there's enough, uh, desire, hopefully still after all this, that, that, you know, people will want to, I think they'll be cooped up for so long. They'll want to go have those kinds of experiences. Ones that you well, know, hopefully, hopefully lead to better stuff for all of us. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really want to integrate in this project is um, classes. So if you wanted to come and stay and learn about biodynamic farming and how to grow your own food and how to live in a more sustainable way, that's kind of one of the things that I would like to do. It's kind of a passion project for me. So Nice, and a good way to give back as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. That's really cool. Um, that's, man, we hit everything that I wanted to talk about and had, had some fun other stuff, other conversations as well. Yeah. Um, Allie, do you want to plug anything? You want to throw any websites out there, cool resources, cool things that anybody want, would want to look up or um, yeah, I mean, you or whatever you're interested in? My website is just my name. It's just AllieDaily.com, A-L-Y-D-A-L-Y.com. And yeah, I'm always open to conversations and, and collaborations and brainstorming about products or practices. So I'm always open to conversations. And I love, uh, I think what I love most about what I do is the process. Yeah. So um, yeah, reach out. Awesome. Well, it's <laughs> been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. I, I really appreciate you being here. Allie Daly, everybody. This is uh, 
building, <laughs> building the future, green building in the new millennium. Thank you for listening Likewise. and have a great day.